Well, good morning. Hey, welcome. If I've never met you, my name is Jeffrey. I am one of the pastors on staff here, and I am honored. I get to, to be the period at the end of the sentence of the restful life. Uh, it's been a really fun, I don't know, I'm really wound tight, and so talking about rest for eight straight weeks, I'm not sure I would describe it as fun. How about important? Um, it's been good. I think, I think we as a culture need to talk a lot about rest, and I did want to just give this one, like, charge to you a little bit. Every year we do a spiritual growth campaign. We always do it in the fall. Uh, and we have this direction that we go as a church from kids all the way up through uh, adults. And, and this year we obviously were talking about the restful life. But one of the things we do as a part of our spiritual growth campaign is we launch short-term groups. And so we've launched, we launched a ton of short-term groups that were just eight weeks and they end this weekend. And here's my challenge for you. If you jumped in a short-term group, we will still do groups after this weekend's. And groups are a massive part about what we do around here. It is a huge aspect of us, just even as believers, we were made to do life together. And so if you haven't ever jumped into community and you wanna know more about groups, come after service to start here, they can talk to you about groups. But if you were in a short-term group and you're kind of on the fence on if you are gonna continue, trust me, you need the group. We as people were made to do life together. And, and in the highs, it's great to have people around you. And in the lows, when you need somebody to be there to hold your arms up when you're weary, it's important to have those people around you. So stay plugged into your community, stay plugged into groups. They've been powerful, but they are gonna continue after this week. I was thinking this last week, I, because of what I do, I, I have the opportunity to be a part of a lot of weddings and I get to be a part of a lot of funerals. And this past season, it's felt like it's been a lot more funerals than it has been weddings. Uh, and the blessing, because I'm a pastor, is I, often I'm doing funerals of people that love the Lord and, and loved the Lord in their life. And we often at funerals will say this verse, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What a beautiful scripture. What a beautiful promise that even in the midst of, of utter despair in, in death, that we get to have hope because of Jesus. I mean, the beauty of the hope of 13 is tied to the Jesus in 14. It is a comforting scripture, especially if you've gone through loss of somebody that you loved and loved the Lord and we can grab hold of this going, I know one day I'm gonna get to be with them again. Here's something we often don't think about when we talk about 1 Thessalonians, grieving with hope. The hope of 13 is tied to the Jesus of 14. And if you remove the Jesus of 14, the hope of 13 goes away. There is no hope outside of Jesus. We talk about it often and we get to grieve with people who have no hope. But what that means is that outside of Jesus, there is no hope. I was talking to one of my best friends in the world. We did his mom's funeral, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And I looked at him in the middle of just crying with the family and talking about the hard part of loss. And I go, I don't, I don't know how in the world people do this, this death thing without any hope, it would just feel soul crushing. This feels like a super weighty way to start service. It is the reality for so many of the people that we see day in and day out. Here's what I want us to do. 
we're gonna be weighty, we may as well just lean into it. I want you to picture somebody in your world, maybe a coworker, maybe a family member, friend, schoolmate, somebody that you do life with that doesn't know Jesus. I want you to actually picture their face. I did that this week. Thought about a guy that I see all the time that I know doesn't follow the Lord at all. Really good dude, but just doesn't know Jesus. And I felt like the gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't like condemning. It was like, hey, when was the last time you talked to him about Jesus? And it wasn't, didn't feel like it was the Holy Spirit like slapping me over the head. But it was an honest question. I began to feel that like sick feeling in my stomach going, it's, it's been a long time. And, and that dude has no hope outside of Jesus. And the person you're picturing, no hope outside of Jesus. And if we just did some like really basic math, I know this is Sunday, we're not supposed to do math on a Sunday, but in the big country, we have 20 to 30,000, 30,000 at the very most, people who this weekend are engaged in some sort of church. And I'm not saying church attendance equals salvation because it doesn't, it's only found in Jesus. But often when you know Jesus, you come to church so you can do life with his people. So if we have 30,000, if we're really, really generous and we say there's 30,000 people in the big country that know Jesus, that means there is 100,000 people, 100,000 people in our city who don't have the hope of 13 because they don't know the Jesus of 14. And as we wrap up this Restful Life series, I felt like there's an important shift that we need to make. See, as those people who have the hope found only in Jesus, we should personally feel the weight of the hopelessness around us. Because what Jesus told us in in what we call the Great Commission before Jesus goes back up into heaven, he gathered people around him and he gave them this, this charge, he gave them this command and he said this in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a charge to the people that Jesus was talking to. It's for you and I too. This command to go into the world, to not stay where they were, not stay where they were comfortable, which is with Jesus just doing their life like they had been. But instead, he's saying, go out into the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is a command for you and I too. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to go into the world and declare the hope found only in Jesus, we are gonna have to have a pretty pretty big shift in the way we view culture. Because the way Christians as a whole deal with culture is one of two extremes. We'll call this extreme right here, we'll call it the ostrich extreme. This extreme is where Christians in their engagement with culture, we bury our head in the sand and we act like it doesn't exist. Like it's over here, but I'm in my own Christian bubble. I only am around other Christians. I only do Christian things. Christian, Christian, Christian all the time. Christian clothes. I I buy Christian pants. I got my Christian underwear on and I name my car after a disciple. Like that is my world. That is it, Christian. And then there's the other extreme. And this extreme looks at the world and screams at the world about the culture. 
telling the world and telling the culture how horrible it is and how it's going to burn in hell. Don't believe me? We talk a lot about cancel culture now. You know who the pioneers of cancel culture were? It was us. We canceled Procter and Gamble. We canceled Disney. And then we bought back into Disney. And then we canceled them again. Then we bought back in. And then we canceled them again. And now they came back with the live action remakes of all the old ones. And now we're fully back in. But Christians are great at cancel culture. We're great at telling the culture how awful it is. Well, let's take one example. Think about how Christians have engaged culture since 2016. Since the election cycle of 2016. How have Christians engaged culture? Maybe your Facebook timeline and your Twitter stream is way different than mine. What I've seen from Christians engaging culture in the last six years has been we have screamed until we are blue in the face, red-eyed, yelling at the world, yelling at people who vote differently than us, who think differently than us. And if you'll indulge my political brain for just a second, here's something that doesn't make sense to me at all. If I'm on the right, and I know it's like really uncomfortable to talk about politics in church, but if I'm on the right, and I think everyone on the left is going to hell because of what they believe. Isn't that the very people we should love? If I'm on the right and I think that everyone on the left is going to hell because of what they believe and how they vote, isn't that our primary mission field? If they're going to hell, I don't want them there. Maybe we should love them instead of scream at them all the time. The opposite is also true. On the left, you look to the right and you go, well, that person has lost all sight of all that Jesus stood for. Maybe you should show them what Jesus stood for and hope that they catch hold of the Jesus you know. And it's made no sense to me that in the world that we live in, that we've become so good at screaming at people who are the very people that we should want to know the God that we say we serve. And that tends to be where we've been. One of these two extremes, either screaming at the world or pulling ourselves completely away from it. So here's my encouragement for you. This week, this is elections, like elections is in nine days. So still time to early vote. You need to vote. Christians should engage culture. This week, before you go vote, before you scream at anyone on social media, listen to the podcast that we did. It comes out Tuesday. It's a conversation with Lynn Beard, who's one of our elders. And we talk about how Christians can engage politics and how we can allow our faith to be part of it and not something that devolves into where it often devolves. So before we post about immigration or taxes this week, your homework is to listen to this podcast and then probably not post about it. See, so most of us are in one of these two camps, in engaging or not engaging culture at any level or yelling at the culture. And the problem is, is what Jesus says is, hey, that does not work. It doesn't work for us to live in one of these two places because Jesus says go into the world because it's in the world and the culture around us that the lost people reside. They're all hanging out together. 
They're not beating down. I don't know if you look on a Sunday morning or on a Thursday. We don't have a line of people beating down the doors going, please tell me about God. We have to remember that the culture and the world around us is the way that it is because it does not have the hope of Jesus. And when we get in the habit of, of elevating our own personal views, our own personal opinions, and we elevate those to a place that is higher than the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're totally missing the mark. And we need to make this seismic shift where we no longer choose to view the world and the culture as a place for us to go to war against, but instead as fertile ground for the hope of Jesus to shine. The people that need Jesus are all congregating together question is, is will we go there? Is that tens of thousands of people in the big country, that person you had in your mind, they have an eternal destiny right now. And I know we already talked about one uncomfortable thing on politics. That destiny is hell. You can have different views on hell. We have to know that what hell is, is Hell. We use hell as the most extreme example our finite human minds can come up with as something that is horrible and awful. And we use it all the time because that is the furthest extreme we could go. And outside of the hope of Jesus, that is every single person's eternal destiny. And so what we as followers of Jesus have to do is have this shift to where we go, that's the fertile ground for the hope of Jesus to be shown. Will I go there? So I want to take you to an example in Scripture. So if you will, if you'll grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. And in Daniel 3, we see a story of three men and how they influence a really dark culture that was around them. So these three men, they, they are slaves. They're slaves from Judah into Babylon. And they have this thing happen right when they get there. We talked the first two weeks about how our identity, this question of who am I, is a really foundational thing. We have to know who we are. And these three men had an identity that as soon as they got to Babylon was stripped from them because it pointed people to the Father. So they had different names. So their names were Hananiah, and his name meant Yahweh has been gracious, and he turned into Shadrach. And you had Michelle, whose name is who is what God is, and he was given the name Meshach. You had Azariah, and his name meant Yahweh has helped, and his name became Abednego. And these three men, because of something that Daniel does, they get elevated into this place of authority in Babylon. And what happens is, at the beginning of Daniel chapter 3, is the king, his name is Nebuchadnezzar at the time, he builds this huge golden idol. It was like 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Think of it like a giant obelisk that would have been breathtakingly beautiful. And he builds it and he tells them that they, everyone must bow, whenever they hear the music, everyone must bow and worship at this idol. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't want to do it. They're not going to do it. They're not going to worship any God that's not their God. And it gets back to the king. And the king hears that these three slaves are not going to bow down to the idol that he's telling everyone to bow down to. And so he pulls them in and it, this is how their conversation goes. He says, now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. 
But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? He's like, these slaves are sitting there thumbing their nose at me, acting like they don't have to do what I'm making everyone else to do. He gives them, are you going to do it? Are you going to bow when you hear the music? If so, great. But if not, you're going in the furnace. And they respond. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They go, no, we're not going to. Also, we don't even really have to answer you in this matter. If our God saves us, he saves us. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But either way, we're not bowing down and worshiping at your idol. And the king snaps. I mean, the Bible talks about his fury in this moment. He changes the way that he all of a sudden views Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he yells at them and he tells them, hey, you need to turn up that furnace seven times hotter than it already is. And in his haste to get them thrown into this furnace, they don't strip them of their clothes, which is what they normally would do. And he has the men throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And it was so hot that the men who threw them into the fire were killed by the heat. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should have immediately been consumed by the fire. But that doesn't happen. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. There was another person in the fire. And the king is like, hey, fellas, we threw three people in there, right? You know, the guys had to be like, yeah, we threw three of them in there. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar, we can count to three. It's one, two, three. We didn't mess up. We didn't throw too many. It's three. And he's like, there's four people in there. And most people, most scholars, and I believe this as well. I'm not a scholar, but I believe this. That this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. So it's Jesus appearing in the Old Testament before he was born of Mary and Joseph. It's something that we call a Christophany. And here in, not next week, but the week after that, we're gonna spend three weeks where we're gonna look at three Christophanies. It's a new series we're calling Don't Miss Him. And it's stories of Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. It's gonna be a really powerful series. I encourage you to be there. Because this Jesus being in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it, it changes everything. These men are not dead. And so the king does what anyone would do in that moment. He's like, get them out of here. So they come out and they, they are in front of the king. And the Bible says that their hair is not burned, that their clothes are not burned, that they don't even have the smell of fire on them. Which we're from Texas. We like bonfires. If you're around a fire, you smell like fire for the next four weeks. These guys were in the middle of the fire. Don't smell like it at all. And the king is floored and he goes, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. 
Who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god? Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks against anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And when we tell this story, we often go different directions. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego talked about uh, like obedience and the importance of following God, even when it doesn't make sense, or, or maybe the faithfulness of God in the midst of the fires of life. But here's what I want us to look at. What these three men did is they engaged and influenced the culture that, they was, that was in front of them, even when that was gonna be a difficult journey. And because of that, they made a profound impact. These men are told to bow down to an idol. Their culture is slightly different than ours, but not that different. We, we might not be told that we have to bow down to any idols, but we are good at bowing down to idols. It might not be a 90 foot by nine golden obelisk, but we bow down at the idol of money all the time. We bow down at the idol of sex. We bow down at the idol of influence. We, we have become pretty good about bowing our knee to different idols. And what these three men do is they choose not to bow down, but still to influence the culture that they were in and not do what probably was their temptation, which is to go to the same cultural extremes that we do. They had to have been tempted to go full ostrich. And they had to have friends that were like, hey, dudes, just bow. It'll be fine. Bow down, say the words, and then you can get up and go ask God for forgiveness. He's gonna forgive you. He doesn't want you dead. Just, just make it. Just, just do your thing so that you can make it through. It'll be fine. And they also had to be tempted to be standing on the sideline going, all you bowing, enjoy hell. But they didn't. They didn't do either of those extremes. Now, they stood firm. They didn't compromise to the culture. They didn't compromise to the world. They stood firm in who they were, stood firm in who God was and what he was calling them to do, even in the face of the king going, hey, heat that up seven times hotter. You know, they had to be like, ah, that sounds hot. But even in the face of that, in the face of that, they still influenced the culture that they were around. How? They took Jesus with them. Jesus was there. And then because they did what God called them to do and they had the presence of God with them, they were able to dramatically influence a culture that really needed to be influenced. You see it rock the king. I mean, the king gives praise to the God that just a little while ago he was willing to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire for worshiping. It changes the, the area around them. The kingdom was different. All of a sudden, no one could speak any word at all against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And before, who cared? The king even declared, and who is the God who could save like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
I mean, that is a shift that happens in this moment. And we have the same opportunity in front of us. We have the same culture that's bowing down to idols constantly. And we have the opportunity to go into and influence that culture. The world desperately needs those of us who will bring the Spirit of God with them into the fire of life. Which should lead us to the question, what can I do? Over the last eight weeks, we've answered four questions. Who am I? Whose am I? What do I have? And now what can I do? But we often ask that question from a really negative viewpoint. What what can I do? I'm, I'm me. I got my regular job, my regular life. I'm doing my regular thing. I'm just me. What, what impact could I possibly make? Jesus tells us. Matthew 5, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Don't read scripture as if it's talking about for somebody else. Put your name in there. Jeffrey is the light of the world. Jeffrey is the salt of the earth. On your own? No. No. I know some of you. You don't have that in you. And I definitely know me. See, when Jesus was leaving, he looked at his people and he said, hey, it is better for you that I go. You know, they had to be like, that could not possibly be the case. Because it's better for you that I go because I'm gonna send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you, who is with you and with me. Day in, day out, as we go through our afternoon today, our Monday tomorrow, we carry the Holy Spirit with us. And carrying the spirit of God with us every day. Go into the world. Go be salt and light. Notice that when Jesus tells us that, he doesn't say, hey, you have the opportunity to be salt and light. There's a chance if the chips fall where they may, you could be salt and light. Jesus says, you are. You are the salt of the earth. Not you might be. You are You are the light of the world. Is it you? No, not a chance. But you carry the very presence of God within you. And we have a world that desperately needs that God in it. We get that chance. We have that responsibility. We say all the time how dark the world is. You have the antidote how the world needs love. Scripture says that that is the very epitome of Jesus. We look at the world and go, where is compassion gone? Yeah, we as believers can take that into the world that needs all those things because it is who our God is. And we have that God with us as we go into the world. Light brings hope. We get to be salt in a world It has numbed itself senseless with fleshly idolatry. Our world is numb day in and day out. And it needs something to bring it to life. And that is the purpose of salt. 
I don't know if you've ever had saltless food. I, uh, sometimes when I try to eat healthy, that first week in January, you know, <laughs> I'll get the, the saltless popcorn. It's just cardboard. Just go to your garage and chew a box. It's better maybe because it has ink. Popcorn needs salt. Why? Because it makes it come to life. That's all food. We use salt so that it makes the food come to life. And we have a world that is numb and lifeless. And our God is the bringer of life. And Jesus said you. And when he said you, you know what he meant? You and me. And we should be asking ourselves the question, what can I do? So I'm Amber Groves, and I'm a first grade teacher at Wiley West Elementary. And I am privileged to do a job that I love every single day. Um, this job, I believe, has a missional mindset. The way I come into my classroom every day is to be the Father's spirit to these students, for them to feel the Father's love and to know that they are loved, seen, and cared for. For students to feel loved, seen, and cared for, is on their birthday. I had one today, have a birthday, and what I do is I sit them in their chair, and we put a crown on their head, and we give them a special light, and that light, I tell them a light that I see within them, and I remind them that they are created on purpose, that there is no one in the whole world that has a special light that lives inside of them. And then I name that light, what that light is that I see in them. It, today it was a student who's a hard worker, who has worked to be honest and trustworthy. And so speaking those truths over them helps them to know that they are loved and cared for and seen. And so another way that I do that is we do something that's called campfire chats. And we sit around in a campfire, a pretend campfire, <laughs> every morning. And we talk about different subjects, social and emotional issues, to help kids be socially and emotionally prepared, to love people and see people, treat them with kindness, to dream big, and to fulfill the purpose that God's given them. So last year I had a little boy in my class who really struggled to just find his own identity. It was a new environment. He moved from a new city and he was moving to a new place. And um, I believe that Jesus was relational. And so my biggest goal in teaching is to be relational, not just with my students, but with their parents. And so the student and his parent, we got to be in relationship with one another and be able to foster a love of learning. So what I saw in the beginning was a timid boy who was scared and crying and was very mad a lot of the times. And to, at the end of the school year, him being what we call our rock star reader who was didn't know any of his letters or any of his sounds, but was reading on a third grade level by the end of the school year. But more than that, more than academically, he learned how to love people socially. He learned his own value and confidence within himself, which is so important. More than any academics I could ever teach, if I can teach a kid to love people and to know who they are and be confident in who they are and who they're created to be, then that's success for me. So I think that with loving kids right where they are, sometimes it's a process. So you have to create relationships. You gotta find a way to connect. There's always a way to find something that you have in common. So I try to teach that by modeling that in front of my kids, not just 
with one another, but with them as well. I try to find a way that I connect with them, whether it's sports or whether it's um, what they like to do. Maybe it's their dog at home. And those campfire chats facilitate this kind of conversation. We talk about what we're scared of. We talk about what makes us happy, what's a great memory. And so it's not always easy, but if you can find a way to relationally connect with a student or with anybody in relationship, if you can find a connection point, you can find a way to grow from there. So even your hardest ones that are hard to love and hard to, to um, find um, the time and the energy, if you can spend, they say if you can spend one minute one minute every day. Um, it will change the trajectory, it can change the trajectory of their life. And so I feel like it's valuable. Um, it's not easy, but if you're intentional, intentionality wins in the end. That's what it looks like. You have a place that needs the hope and light of Jesus and the salt that brings things to life. And we just go into it and we influence it. And we often make, make the very idea of it feel overwhelming or, or we go, well, I'm gonna sit and I'm gonna wait until I hear the Lord tell me exactly what I need to do tomorrow on how I can be salt and light. And Jesus says, hey, don't overcomplicate it. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus just goes right after, this is the verse after saying, be salt and be light. He goes, hey, you do that by letting your good works point people to the Father. We don't have to make it so difficult. We don't gotta try to figure out this really specific thing that I must do. We must do. We must go into the world and allow the good works that we do to point people to the Father. Here's a few opportunities for you. We talk about bless and we have a lot over the last little while. And bless is just a tool that we talk about, that we can use as we go into and try to influence the big country. So that person you had in mind, you begin with praying for them. And then you listen to them because listening always communicates that somebody matters to us. And then you eat with them. Maybe not like a full meal. Maybe like bring them coffee. Go get them Sonic. I've never understood. There is something miraculous in the Sonic ice that just moves people. Maybe that's it. You serve them, mow their yard, make them dinner. And then because we've done those first four things, we get the chance to do the last thing, which is share the story of what happened in my life because I met Jesus. This is a way that you can go and you can do. We can go into the world declaring the hope found only in Jesus. Here's another one for you. Tomorrow is Halloween, and we do our single biggest outreach of the year on Halloween. We call it We Love Our City. It's why I'm wearing this shirt. I grew up in Lubbock. I would never wear maroon, okay? Maroon is a sinful color, but here I am because we want to love our city. Tomorrow, all across our city, we will have people. My family will be one of them. I have two daughters that are going to go trick-or-treating. One of them is gonna be a, a pirate and one is gonna be an angel and it's a perfect description of their personalities. <laughs> and they are, one is me and one is my wife, okay? So obviously, angel. Uh. <laughs> Y'all laugh too hard at that. Uh. And they're gonna go door to door. And they're gonna go up, they're gonna knock on the doors, they're gonna say, trick or treat. 
They're going to hold out their bag. They're going to put candy in it. And then my daughters will hand them a card. And on this card, it is an opportunity for every person that scans the QR code to enter into a giveaway that we will do every Sunday in November where we will pay somebody's mortgage, we will give them a gift card for gas and a gift card for food. We will do that every Sunday in November, showing people that God loves them and wants to help meet their needs. And then it's also an invite to church. More than any of that, every single card has the gospel on it. Every card is an opportunity for the gospel to go somewhere and Tomorrow, we will pass out 35,000 cards around the big country. And there's some of you, yeah. So you need to grab a bag when you leave if you're going trick-or-treating. Maybe you're like, well, I got out of it because I don't have kids that age. You didn't. Because tomorrow, strangers will knock on your door and want to talk to you. Give them candy. Give them a card. Or maybe you want to do, we have some hubs. We've got some signs out there if you want to grab signs. And, and they can, you could do a big hub, make hot dogs, make burgers, do something and talk to people as they come past. I mean, this is an unbelievable opportunity for us to go into our city and love people. Declaring the hope found only in Jesus. The last one I kind of want to hit right now is this afternoon at the South Campus, we have our Missions Expo. And our, as a church, we will send people all over the United States and all over the world next year. And our Missions Expo is when we launch this. And so today at the South Campus, if you're listening to this on Sunday, we have our Missions Expo. And maybe the go into the world is actually going into like more than the big country. Maybe it's going to Ireland or Israel or San Diego. We're gonna take trips all over the world. And my encouragement for you is maybe you've been on the fence, come to the Missions Expo, see the different trips that we have. As you nudge each other, I can see you do that up here. Go to the Missions Expo because it's gonna be a powerful, powerful year where we get to go into our world. Maybe it's none of those. It could be something so small. Buy coffee for that person that was in your mind earlier. Write them a note. Post something kind on their Facebook wall. Just do something in the world to let our good works point people to the Father. We let the good works that we do because of the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit in each of us point people to the Father. And I know that's the end of your notes. Here's what I want you to think about. I often, when I get the opportunity to preach, I talk about the importance of us collectively grasping this. And it's because we are collective people. We, the church is the body of Christ. A body works best when it has all of its ability to function with one another. And imagine, imagine if just us just the South Campus, just the North Campus, just the online campus, just us caught hold of this idea that we get to go into a world that's desperate for hope and bring hope. That we get to carry peace into a world where there is chaos abounding. That we get to walk into places that need joy found only in the Holy Spirit and we get to be joy there. Imagine if just collectively we decided that tomorrow I want to make it hard to get to hell in the big country and how I'm going to do that is by going into the world and declaring the goodness and the wonder of my God. Think of what that 
would look like in the big country. It would mean revival. And we don't have to overcomplicate it. We let our good works point people to the Father. And in there is a declaration of the hope found only in Jesus. So if you will, if you'll bow your heads, I want to give us just a, a moment to respond. As I was praying through this talk this week, I felt like maybe there's some of you in here that haven't ever said yes to Jesus. And you're like, I don't have any of that hope you've talked about. Right after service, we're going to have prayer partners up at the front. We would love to pray for you. Love to get the opportunity to just talk to you about it. And for the rest of us, my prayer has been simple. I want boldness. I want boldness personally. I want boldness for our church. To go into a dark, hopeless world and carry the antidote. Not on our own strength or power, but on the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, this, this morning, that is what we ask for. I want boldness. I want boldness to go into the world. I want to make it hard to get to hell in the big country. This week, God, would you show us opportunities to be bold? In your name we pray, amen. If you will, if you'll stand up and you should have when you came in, received some communion. If you'll go ahead and get those communion elements out. If you didn't, there's some in the back. If you need gluten-free communion, that is in the back as well. We felt like this week, just even thinking about that verse out of 1 Thessalonians, that it would be a good time for us to remember the hope found in Jesus and in the sacrifice of Jesus. So what I want us to do is I want us to just, you can open up the part with the bread. Don't take it yet. You can hold it in your hand. Before Jesus went to the cross, he gathered his people together. And they had the last supper, they had the first communion. <laughs> and they wouldn't have fully grasped what was happening in the moment but pretty quick they would. As Jesus looked at him and he said, this is my body. It's broken. His body that was broken for you and me, for our healing, for our freedom. My sins put Jesus on the cross. And his body was bruised and broken, stabbed and nailed to a cross. And he said, when you do this, when you take communion, you remember me. Let's take the bread together. You can open up your juice. You don't have to take it yet. He told them, he said, this is my blood of the covenant, my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, Jesus' 
death on the cross was a, a shift in the way that people would follow God. It's no longer the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And we get to be free in Jesus. He said his, body, his blood was poured out for us. Beginning the new covenant that you and I get to walk in. That we get to be in the presence of God happened because of this blood that was shed. May we never take that for granted. And he said, do this and remember me. Let's take the juice together. Pretty quick after that, Jesus would go to the cross. And the three days later, he would rise again. And that's the God that we serve today. We serve a risen Savior who was willing to take on the sins of the world, my sins and your sins. He was willing to go to the cross. And then he overcame the very thing that we were destined for and gives us life and gives us freedom. So let's worship together.